Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Kate Willett. We, you know, talked there for a while, just, you know, that kind of like foreplay, like, oh, did your parents neglect you as a child? And... (laughs) That and more. But first, folks, on July 15th, 2021, we'll be having our next Risk live show at Caveat on the Lower East Side in New York City. Mary Sin, Harold Cox, Angela Sawyer, Gail Thomas, and me... We'll be sharing stories, a phenomenal cast, and tremendous stories. The show will be at 7 p.m. Eastern. You must show proof of vaccination. It'll also be simultaneously live-streamed on YouTube. So in order to either attend in person there at Caveat or to watch the live stream, get your tickets at risk-show.com tour. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Chancha Via Circuito behind me now. We're so excited 
to have that next Risk live stream slash live on stage show coming up on July 15th. And we're so excited that the Story Studio is staying busy this summer. People are continuing to seek storytelling workshops. And it is a great thing to, you know, if you want to take up a creative outlet this summer over at thestorystudio.org. Now, we're calling this week's episode Reckless. There's a lot of drugs and alcohol in this episode and a lot of messiness around boundaries with sex and romance. In our second story we're going to feature today, there's a few instances of language being used in a joking way, but language that's very loaded. We opted not to cut those words out or bleep them because it feels like it's so indicative. It's so obvious that it's indicative of the characters, the way they talked to one another. So that story is by Roy Lazarowitz. It was recorded the last time Risk was in Boston a couple years back. But first, we're going to start with a story that was shared by Kate Willett at the Risk Live show in Los Angeles many years ago. Kate's audiobook called Dirtbag Anthropology is on Audible. You can find her on Twitter at Kate Willett. And here she is now with a story we call Two Princes. Hey guys, so um, a couple years ago I was going through this time in my life where I was very committed to being sex positive and sometimes it just looked like having really bad boundaries. Um, <laughs> Because I was sleeping with a lot of guys that were sort of on the douchey side, but I wasn't one of those, like, I wasn't doing it because they were douchey. It wasn't like those guys think, like, chicks love assholes or something like that. <laughs> it, it, I don't love assholes. It's just, like, that's who was there, you know? Like, I was having sex with them because they were right there. And um, there was one guy in particular who I was very, very fixated on. He was this comedian dude, and he was a little bit older than me, like 35, but like still really into shoplifting and uh, really not good at spelling and just kind of like everything that I would want to be if I could just be like the shittiest guy, you know? Because like as women, in order to get things, we have to like brush our hair and like try really hard. But there's a certain type of dude that can just be like, yeah, like I'm gonna use all my privilege to fuck off now and then just pull it together in five years. And um, I found that very sexy and charming. And I kept kept making out with this guy, you know, like he would just kind of randomly pull me into a bathroom and he'd like feel me up for like five minutes. And it was like really infuriating, but like also super sexy. And I wanted to have sex with him so bad and he never wanted to do it. And like, we just kept making out and like, I'd look at this guy and I wanted his approval so much. I'd be like, oh my gosh, is he super high or am I fundamentally unlovable? And I spent a long time trying to determine which one it was and uh, 
I got super fixated on it, you know, and I just felt like if I could just have sex with him, I would finally be free from this obsession. And one day we were at a show and he's like, hey, Kate, you want to come home with me tonight? And I was like, fuck, yeah. And... (laughs) He's like, I'm not saying that we have to have sex or anything like that. I was just like, oh, no, that's definitely what we're going to do. And he's like, okay, cool, you know. And, yeah, so we go back to his house and we, you know, talk there for a while. Just, you know, that kind of, like, foreplay, like, oh, did your parents neglect you as a child? And (laughs) so hot. And... You know, eventually the time goes by and it's a pretty good conversation, but then all of a sudden it's like four in the morning, we start making out and he's like, oh, you know, I want to have sex, but I don't have a condom. And, you know, we're like looking around and thinking about what to do and it's four in the morning, everywhere is closed. And he's like, are you cool to just have sex, you know, without a condom? I don't have anything for sure. And I'm thinking in my head, like, there's no way I can ever do this. You know, I'm picturing like my therapist being like, Kate, you are an intelligent, sober, self-respecting, mature woman. But then in my head, I'm like, am I really, you know? And I was like, you've definitely been tested recently. Like, you're sure that you don't have anything? And he's like, yes, I'm absolutely positive. You know, so then I just decide, okay, like, I'm going to go for it. Like, I don't take a lot of risks. Like, I don't take drugs. Like, I just really wanted to do it. And I'm imagining myself, like, what if I go home without having done this? Then I'm still going to be obsessed with this guy. And then that'll suck. So I'm like, okay, let's have sex. And then we start having sex. And the good news is it was uh, mediocre enough that I could tell that it was going to cure my obsession. It was, uh, (laughs) it was pretty bizarre, man. You know, like... I told him that I was nervous about this comedy show that I was going to do on the weekend. And he's like, you're going to do great at your shows this weekend. And like, dur- like while he was inside me, you know, and I just, it was really strange. And I wanted to keep having sex with him, but I couldn't handle the fact that he was saying that. So I was like covering my face and... He's like, you're gonna do great at your shows this weekend. And he thought that I was covering my face because I like didn't believe in myself, you know? (laughs) So he kept moving my hands and he's like, no, I mean it. You're really gonna do a good job. (laughs) And I was just like, oh God, I just can't. And, uh, and so we finished having sex and, you know, I just, um, we like snuggle for like a minute but it was like, mostly me that was snuggling and I was just leave and go home in the morning and you know I feel pretty good actually about what happened because I'm like I'm finally fucking free like I am free I'm done with this shit and um I go back to my house and uh you know I'm just just kind of go about my life for the next two weeks there's this dude that I'm seeing in my house that I've been kind of in an open relationship with uh let's just call him hippie Jesus because that is exactly what he looks like and Hippie Jesus has recently gotten, and we had been in like a very open, casual relationship, and he had recently started getting back together with his ex-girlfriend, who was like so cute, and she was just exactly who I imagined I would have to be in order to like really get one of these super shitty guys to commit, you know, like... (laughs) Like, she was just supermodel-level gorgeous and, like, very chill, you know, just, like, super chill, like, both in the sense that she meditated and was very open-minded about non-monogamous relationships, you know? Like, just very chill. And um, 
but also like I didn't really know her or whatever. I was trying not to be judgy, but it was super hard not to compare myself. And I was like, all right, maybe I'm just gonna take a little space from the relationship with hippie Jesus, you know, because we lived in the same house and it sucked to come home and like hear him having sex with her. And I was just like, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. Couple weeks later, I go to an open mic at a laundromat and uh, <laughs> that's part of life as a comedian. And your man, the comedian dude, is on stage and uh, he's doing a hot bit about how he has chlamydia. And yeah, I know. And uh, I want to confront him, but then I'm like, uh, I just, I'm like, I, I just, I can barely talk to this dude without losing my shit anyway, you know? And like, especially about something not emotional. And it's like, comedians sometimes make up stuff. I don't know what's true. But I decide for myself, like, okay, I'm gonna go get tested at least. Like, you know, that's a good idea. So I go to the doctor. I'm like, I think you have chlamydia. She's like, why do you think you have chlamydia? And I was like, well, there was this open mic. And you know what? <laughs> Never mind. It's sort of a long story. So, a couple days later, I'm driving, see my phone ring from like an unrecognized number, but I can't pick up because I'm driving and uh, I check my messages once I pull over and it's the doctor and she says, Miss Willard, I need you to call me back right away. And my stomach drops because the tone in her voice, like she sounded so nervous. And then I'm thinking, okay, what if it's not chlamydia? Like, what if I have something that's permanent? Or what if I have HIV? And I'm like, well, you know, the instance of like heterosexual men transmitting like HIV to heterosexual women is like statistically low unless the person uses like IV drugs. And then I'm thinking about this guy and I'm like, oh yeah, he is for sure shot up drugs. Uh, absolutely. I mean, that was part of like what I was attracted to about him. And um, so I'm just, I feel like I'm gonna throw up and my disgusting life is flashing before my eyes and I'm just panicking. And uh, so I call her back right away and she's like, you know, you're absolutely right. You have chlamydia. And I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> and she's like, I have never heard anybody react that way. And I was like, lady, you don't even know the people I sleep with. Like, <laughs> and she's like, well, the good news is we'll give you some antibiotics for yourself and also you know, a set for your partner and uh, that should take care of it. And I was like, that's so awesome. How many people can you get antibiotics for? <laughs> and she's like, just one, you know? But like, very shamey, you know? Very, very shamey. And I felt the need to defend myself. I was like, look, you don't get chlamydia from being like just having sex with one person who had sex with one person, okay? That's not even feminism. That is just science, okay? <laughs> and she's like, I'm only legally allowed to prescribe you two sets of antibiotics and you'll just have to call anybody else you need to call and let them know that they need to go to their own doctor and get tested. I'm like, lady, I'm not having sex with people who have health insurance, okay? <laughs> That's not where I'm at in my life. <laughs> She's like, well, you know, I'm sorry. You'll have to just figure it out. And so, um, so the first thing I do when I get off the phone with her is I text that comedian dude and I just bitch him out. I was like, I never should have slept with you. You lied to me. You gave me chlamydia. Thanks a lot, you know? And he like texts me back. He's like, I'm going to parade. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, scumbags go to parades? Like, I don't understand. And, uh, 
he's like i didn't give you chlamydia like you know and so i was just like oh whatever i go back to my house and uh hippie jesus he lives near the front door and i i get in there and he's he's like hey can you come in my room for a second and i was like yeah what's up and he's like i have something to tell you and i was like okay what is it and he's like i have chlamydia and i was like me too and he's like you know i think i got it uh you know from the other woman i'm seeing and uh, it becomes clear to me at that moment that he has given me chlamydia and uh, not the comedian dude. So I text the comedian guy back and I was like, hey, uh, I don't think you gave me chlamydia. I just found out, but I might have given it to you. Uh, so you should definitely go get tested. And then he writes me back. He's like, no problem. These things happen. It's not a big deal. <laughs> everything's gonna be okay and I'm like why is this guy being so easygoing and cool about this and then I remember like oh yeah he probably has this conversation all the time <laughs> this is a really regular part of his life you know so anyways the lady that he the, the hippie Jesus is seeing he she she comes in the room where we're standing and I feel kind of guilty like even though we're like all in an open relationship it's just still kind of feels really seventh grade and uh <laughs> She's like, what are you guys talking about? Is it the chlamydia? And uh, I was like, yep. And um, she's like, have you guys taken your antibiotics yet? I was just about to take mine. And I was like, no, I haven't taken it yet. And so we just decided to all just take them together right there. Just group chlamydia antibiotics. And you know, something that really broke the ice. Like after that, it just felt a lot easier to talk to her, you know, because I was like, well, you know, she is beautiful and she is cooler than me, but also she has chlamydia, you know? So it was like, it's just a lot easier to relate on that level. Anyways, that night is Halloween. So we have a big Halloween party at the house and I'm dressed up as a nun because we live in a convent and she's also dressed up as a nun because that's like the theme of the night. And uh, hippie Jesus is dressed up as actual Jesus. Uh, because it was a good costume for him and also narcissism. So I, so you know, the night goes on, it's like a big wild party. There's a bunch of people on ecstasy, I'm not, but like there's just a lot going on, you know, like lots of mm's, mm's, and uh, um, I uh, feel a little overwhelmed by the party and, and also I'm just not feeling too good. And so I go in hippie Jesus's room and we start snuggling, but more in like a hippie way versus like a sex way. And uh, then she walks in the room and she's like, oh gosh, sorry. You know, like she felt bad about interrupting, even though I like wasn't cheating or anything because everybody in this situation is non-monogamous. But I was like, no, 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 come in. And uh, she's like, okay. And I was like, well, do you want to come cuddle with us too? Because it was just that kind of party and also <laughs> chlamydia so I uh, so she starts cuddling with us and we're all just sort of snuggling and it feels really good but then she starts bringing up some stuff that kind of makes me think that maybe she has like an agenda here she's like talking about how she's never kissed a woman and she really wants to and I am like I would kiss you and I see hippie Jesus look real confused and 
um, a little bit left out. And so we decided to kiss and we start making out and she's extremely enthusiastic about it. Hippie Jesus is feeling like a little bit left out and stuff like that. So we start including him and then all of a sudden the three of us are making out and uh, it's it's kind of stays at like first base level threesome because we all have chlamydia and... Um, <laughs> You're like, well, why not? If you all have it, it's because you can reinfect yourself with chlamydia and get like super chlamydia, you know? <laughs> then that is just the last thing I need is super chlamydia. Um, and then she's saying stuff to me you know, while this is going on. She's like, I want to go out to dinner with you. And uh, hippie Jesus is like, what? And I'm like, I'm going to steal his girlfriend like that. <laughs> That is like number one. That's like the best scumbag revenge tactic that I could possibly think of. And, uh, you know, so we just all kind of snuggle. You know, morning comes, everybody goes home. I get a text message from her later that day that says that she has decided to break up with Hippie Jesus because she wants to just explore things with women from now on. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and she wants to try dating ladies, and uh, I can tell that hippie Jesus is going to be really mad at me, and also, I just am like, well, you know, even if she thinks he's a douchebag, like, he probably is, you know what I mean? Because sometimes you just need that other woman there, you know, to be like, what is this shit? You know, like, that's like an advantage of polyamory, and um, <laughs> I was like, well, if he's too disgusting for you, you know, and... So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to end it with him, too. Uh, so I talked to him, and, you know, we decided to call it off. Meanwhile, I'm getting a lot of text messages from comedian guy that are like, hey, Kate, I just want to let you know that my urine came out clean. And uh, I had been wanting him to text message me for so long, but I think I should have specified on, like, whatever vision board that, like, not about his urine, you know? like. <laughs> and um, anyways, so... I kind of like reflected to myself on the situation and I was like, you know, just because I should be allowed to do whatever I want doesn't mean that it's necessarily a good idea, you know? And a lot of people, if you're a woman and you're sex positive and you have any sort of consequence for sex or whatever, people immediately start trying to talk you out of having sex. They're like, maybe you should just do some affirmations and take a bath. And I'm like, I don't want to do affirmations. I'm horny, you know, but like, <laughs> You know, maybe there's a time and a place where you're like, no, I'm actually going to say no to this situation, even though it's okay for me to do it. It's just not going to feel good, and I don't want to. And I decided that I was going to take a little break from sleeping with guys like this. And um, anyway, I don't talk to them really anymore, but I definitely still talk to her. She comes to my comedy shows sometimes, and uh, she'll bring whatever date. And whenever I talk about Hippie Jesus, she'll point out to her date. She'll be like, that's him. That's my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> And, you know, <laughs> I feel like that's a good litmus test for, like, if the other women that have slept with these guys can relate, then I'm right on track. All right, you guys, thank you so much. I went to a party. And I'll dance all night. I drank myself 16 beers and started up a fight. Now I think I'm jaded, ooh, I'm out of luck I'm rolling down, I'm rolling down them stairs Too drunk to fuck, I'm too drunk And you're too drunk Rolling down them stairs, too drunk to
so when I was 15, four words changed my life forever. And those words were, hey, you want to make out? <laughs> and boy, did I. Those four words were spoken by a girl that was the exact opposite of everything that I was at the time. Punk rock. And her name was Tiff, and her nickname was Skunk. Not because she smelled, but because she had this weird oblong patch of hair that was supposed to be dyed blonde, but it kind of just was white. And she wore these ripped black jeans and this UK subs t-shirt and her hair covered her face. And after we were done making out, she took a purple eyeliner pencil out of her bag and wrote her AIM screen name on my forearm. <laughs> I cry when I'm kicked. And it was the single most romantic thing anyone had ever done. But that night would be the last time that anything happened between Tiff and I, but we stayed close, and as a matter of fact, so close that she ended up dating a good friend of mine whose name was Luke, and he was also the exact opposite of what I was. He had dyed hair, he was the first to drink, he was the first to smoke, and he was the first to do hard drugs. Now, fast forward seven years later, and Tiff has now graduated from culinary school, and Tiff just got out of rehab and she attends weekly AA meetings. Meanwhile, myself, I've dropped out of college twice. I have never touched drugs or alcohol, but I just moved to New York City and I looked at this as the perfect time to reconnect with her. So I called her and I said, Tiff, I just moved to New York and I don't know if you have any time or if you'd be interested, but I'd love to have lunch with you. And she said, of course I have time for you, you dingus and my heart soared. And after that was over, I immediately started thinking about where can I take her, something that is, is exotic, and something that screams, I'm not who I used to be, and most of all, something that screams, please have sex with me. So I chose the obvious choice, Mediterranean. And as I was awkwardly standing outside of this restaurant waiting for her, I saw her cross the street, and you wouldn't believe it, but she looked like she always had, except instead of hair in her face, she had a rat tail now that was perfectly braided and almost down to the small of her back. And without thinking, I just blurted out, you look great. And she responded by saying, you look like you always do, <laughs> like a faggot. And then she slapped me in the face. And I almost collapsed from joy, I was so excited. And as we dined over falafel and hummus, we reconnected and it felt like nothing had changed. And she leaned over at the end of that lunch and she kissed me, but it wasn't like the kiss that we shared when we were 15. This kiss wasn't wet and it wasn't crazy and messy. It was timid and it was meek. And it was the beginning of something between the two of us. And it was June in New York City and whether or not that's a good thing, I thought it was. <laughs> and we started going all over the city. But the thing I should mention here is that, yes, she went to AA, but she never really stopped drinking. She drank less, from what I was told, but she always had it under control until one night. Because you see, Tiff loved dancing, and I pretended to love dancing. <laughs> And we went to a bar on the Lower East Side every Sunday night for something called Morrissey Night. And they played songs by all these different artists. 
but Morrissey. They never played Morrissey. And we would go and we would dance and it was so fun. And she would have a drink or two and I would never drink. And she always understood that. And she always seemed a little weird about it. And then one night, I went to meet her and she was already drunk. And we went to the bar and she bought two drinks. One for me, one for her, and she passed the drink to me. And in that moment, this macho bravado took over and I started talking to myself and saying, don't be a pussy, Roy, this is it. Don't turn it back now. You wanna live in New York City, have a drink. And before I could make up my mind, she said, don't be a pussy, Roy, have a drink. So I drank it. And for the first time in my life, alcohol touched my lips and it was a whiskey sour and it did not taste good. And Tiff was a few drinks ahead of me, and I had never seen the side of her before. She was loud, and she was abrasive, and she was very aggressive, which I thought was pretty hot. But she started smoking inside, and this isn't a time in New York City when you can smoke inside. You can't. And she started smoking, and she quietly would smoke underneath, and she would put it out, and then she would smoke another one. And every time a bouncer came over, without words, she would just point at some dumb white guy next to us and the bouncer would drag that person out of the bar and she laughed and she loved it she would say that guy's a fucking idiot and I was terrified but I was rejuvenated I had never experienced anything like this before four drinks later we stumble out of this bar and we're walking through the streets of New York City I can't speak coherently I can't stand up without the support of her and she can't stand up without the support of me and every person who walks by us she insults <laughs> and not in her voice in a very bad John F. Kennedy impression <laughs> And she would say, by God, your shirt is ugly. And I would say, to keep up, I would say, by God, I agree. And she would say, shut the fuck up, Roy. And I would say, okay. And when we finally found the subway, it had to have been after three in the morning. And for anyone who's been to New York City before, after around one o'clock, the subways just run sometimes. Not often, and we're finally on the subway and we're so close to Queens when suddenly she sprints off the train three stops before ours and I say, Susanar throws up all over the platform. And then I throw up all over the platform. And then finally, what felt like days later, we got off the subway in Queens and I say, we're almost home. And she said, you're just a stupid Jew. You don't have a sense of direction. And I said, Tiff, my house is right there. And I pointed at it. She said, I found it. <laughs> and we stumbled upstairs and we fell asleep. And the next morning, I woke up before her. And honestly, I was elated. I was finally living this life that I always pretended I wanted. I saw all of my heroes from New York City indulging in all of these substances. And I was finally doing it not thinking about the effect that it had on her and the issues that she has with all of this. So we went on that way for the next month and a half going out and we were drinking and we were smoking and we were dancing and we were fighting. And then we were trying to have sex and it wasn't working. But that was okay because I was living the life I had always dreamed that I wanted.
Until one day I got a phone call from a friend of mine telling me that our friend Luke had died of a heroin overdose while living in Portland because, you see, he got into heroin in New Jersey and then decided he would move to Portland to get clean. It turns out there's heroin in Portland, too, and that's what happens. And when I heard the news, I collapsed to the floor, and a little kid came up to me, and he said, excuse me, are you okay? And I said, I just got some bad news, but I, th I think I'll be okay. And he said, okay, great. Do you know where the yo-yos are? <laughs> because I was at work and I worked at a toy store. So I decided to call Tiff to see how she was doing and it turns out she hadn't heard yet. And when I told her, there was just a silence. And after a long silence, she said the exact thing that both of us had been thinking the whole time, which was that could have been me. And then she hung up. And three days later at the wake, I was sitting in the back of this church and I was looking at Tiff in a short black dress with a rat tail down to the small of her back sobbing over this open casket of a friend of both of ours, of someone that she loved and someone that she had dated. And it was then that I realized I wasn't doing what I should be doing. I wasn't living the life that I meant to live and she wasn't dating me for who I am. She was dating me for someone she thought she could be. I didn't see Tiff for three weeks after that. And then I got a text from her saying that she was gonna be in the city for her sister's birthday and that she'd like to see me after. When I saw her, she was already drunk and I helped her upstairs to my room and I wish so badly that I could tell you that this is when we had it out and we finally talked about it and things ended, but they ended in a nice, amicable, romantic way, but they didn't because she fell asleep. <laughs> but before she fell asleep, she turned to me and mumbled, you could have saved me, but I don't want to be saved. And she fell asleep. And I fell asleep next to her, and the next morning I had woken up, and she was already gone. I didn't see or really speak to her for six months after that, and then we finally saw each other to kind of do the exchange of goods and have the post-mortem, and we saw each other, and she looked great, and she had cleaned up her act, and she had started dating someone right after me, and I know that I should feel a little weird about that, but that guy was a bum, so I don't feel that bad. <laughs> And as we were saying our goodbyes, I took this as my opportunity to finally ask her the one question that I had really always wanted to ask her. And I said, of all of the people that were there that night when we were 15, why did you kiss me? And she started laughing, which is never a good sign, ever. And she said, I had just broken up with my boyfriend. I made out with five other people that night. I can't believe I never told you that. Thank you. Cause smile on the mean and the style is a night I'm with the 
What a good place to be Don't believe I This is Risk, this is the House Martins behind me now, and we just heard from Roy Lazarwitz. You can find Roy on Twitter at LazarwitzRoy. Well, folks, if you love what we do here on Risk and over at the Story Studio, we couldn't be doing it without the support of our fans. The support of our fans is just crucial to the whole functioning of everything. And by becoming a member over at patreon.com slash risk, you will have access to 140, probably at this point, bonus stories, over 50 check-ins. I just put a new one up mm, last week or the week before. Interviews with staff and storytellers, free online story studio video classes, links to the video versions of our past live streams, and so much more. So check all of that out at patreon.com slash risk. And if you'd like to make a one-time donation, that's at paypal.me slash risk show. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android. You are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance. There's scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. <laughs> Now, our final story on this week's episode comes to us from Stephanie Smith. This was recorded at the Mystery Box Show in Portland, Oregon. This is the second week in a row we're running a Mystery Box Show story. You can find them at mysteryboxshow.com. Also look for their podcast and their YouTube channel. Stay tuned because I'll say a few brief words after Stephanie's story. And here she is now. This is Stephanie Smith with a story we call A Cure for Herpes.
February of 2012, I had just moved to Portland. At about that time, I had been doing stand-up comedy for a year, so I was really excited to join this bigger scene, but I couldn't shake these feelings of like anxiety you know, and loneliness. And one time, I find myself at an open mic, and there's only one guy in the audience that isn't a comic, you know, which is just gold for any female comic. <laughs> and he's tall and he's handsome and he's laughing at my set, which feels really good. Um, turns out he was on shrooms. <laughs> just wandered away from his friends and into an open mic. <laughs> Like any good 27-year-old insecure female stand-up comedian, I didn't take that as a red flag. <laughs> Got his phone number, and a week later, I find myself at a party with a bunch of comics. Again, feeling really anxious. Didn't help that we had just done a bunch of dabs. <laughs> and it's like a light bulb over my head. I'm like, ding, I know what will make me feel better getting laid and within the hour I'm at his house and we're making out and it's going really well and I'm right about to go down on him when I think to ask hey when was the last time you were tested and that's when he tells me he recently found out he had herpes and I just had the perfect mixture of dabs and beer and insecurity and anxiety and I chose in that moment to take risks that I might not have otherwise taken. And I mean, we used protection, it was mostly okay, but there was definitely some contact. And um, you know, after we're done having sex, I look up at him and he said, hey, you can't fall in love with me, okay? <laughs> it's so offensive to hear that, like, hey, I know I'm pretty cool shit, you know, and I was willing to fuck you, but this isn't gonna be a thing. Like, fuck you, shrooms guy. <laughs> shrooms guy who almost didn't tell me he had herpes. Awesome, yeah, I was like head over heels, Prince Charming. <sighs> I was really pissed, and I asked him, I go, what on earth am I doing to make you think that I'm about to fall in love with you? And he goes, it's something about the way you were looking at me in the moonlight. It was February, it was raining. That was a street light outside his own bedroom window. <laughs> I pretended to roll over and go to sleep. I pretended like I wasn't silently crying. And as soon as I knew the first bus was running, I made my exit. And a half hour into the bus ride, I get a phone call from Shrim's guy. And he says, look, Jessica, I'm sorry. And I go, my name's not Jessica. <laughs> and I need to wait for my bus stop. And we never talked again. It was like the rejection was just compounded by this reality that I had willingly taken on this risk with STD. And, you know, suddenly, like, every little itch and twinge I swore was going to be an outbreak. Like, I literally never spent so much time with a hand mirror looking at my own bits <laughs> until after that. I finally decided, like, I need to go get tested. That's what's going to put my mind at ease. And the diagnosis comes back from blood work 
that I have herpes. And I'm devastated. I'm sitting there weeping in the gynecologist's office. And normally I'm weeping because it's expensive. <laughs> you know? This one was harder. And she's trying to console me. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Like a fourth of this city has it. But in my head, I'm like, I am already so incredibly lonely. You know? And now this is going to make it that much harder to meet somebody. And once I was diagnosed, I start hearing all these really shitty herpes jokes that you hear all the time at open mics, you know? Every Judd Apatow film has one. Like, your friend gets a little piece of glitter on her face, you know, you go to wipe it away, and she's like, ugh, glitter, it's the herpes of the craft world. <laughs> See if I tell her next time something's in her teeth, right? Like, fuck off. And you start seeing like the sympathy in your friends' faces, like this look that says, I'm here for you, I wanna support you, but on the other hand, I'm so glad I'm not you, you know? <laughs> and your cell phone starts auto-correcting herpes to heroes, which is also really annoying. <laughs> and I'm dating and I'm experiencing more and more rejection. And I don't know if it's me or if it's because I've disclosed to this person that I have herpes. And one day I'm on this date, I'm on a third date and it's going really well, we're making out, it's very romantic. He brought me to a sailboat. <laughs> and I tell him, and almost like I can see clouds just cross his face, you know? He just never treated me the same after that. Um, and we slowly stopped talking shortly after and I even texted him, I was like, you left your polarized sunglasses at my house. And now I'm the proud owner of some Nike polarized sunglasses. <laughs> at least that one had a happy ending. <laughs> Eventually I do meet this guy, I meet this guy. He doesn't even flinch when I disclose to him and we hit it off, the sex is really good. And he decides, we start dating, he decides that he's okay to not use condoms. It was his decision. And everything's going really well until one evening, I'm in Coos Bay at that casino doing a really shitty road gig. <laughs> and I had a bad set. And I come home and I see a text and he says, I think I'm having an outbreak. And I'm heartbroken. Like I feel incredibly guilty. Like I've ruined this person. And I'm begging him, I'm like, let's go get tested. Let's get you tested so you can know exactly what it is. And he refuses, he doesn't have health insurance. And uh, the relationship shifted. You could really feel the resentment. We eventually broke up. A year after the breakup, I get another text from ex-boyfriend. This time telling me he just got tested and he doesn't have herpes. He let me live for a year being like so stubborn and refusing to get tested. And it turns out he never had it in the first place. And I go, well, what the fuck was it then? He's like a yeast infection. Are you kidding me? Do you know how many yeast infections I've had in my lifetime? Like, I'm pretty sure I was a bread baker in my last life. You know what I mean? Of course it was a yeast infection, you asshole. <laughs> I started a new job and I'm establishing care with the new GP and I'm like, blah, blah, blah. I have herpes, but I've never had no break and apparently I've never given it to anybody. And he stops me and he goes, well, how do you know you even have herpes then? I go, well, oh, I had this contact, so I insisted on a blood test, and he's like, yeah, we don't like to give those blood tests because so many people have these antibodies. We just wait until you have an outbreak and we'll swab you, you know? 
If you go to the doctor and you ask for like just the full-blown panel of STD tests, they're not testing for herpes. And the thought behind it is like, why give somebody this undue stress if they're never gonna have an outbreak or give it to somebody else? But on the other hand, it just kind of functions to hide how common it is. And you start asking questions and researching. And you know, it turns out herpes is one of the most successful viruses in the history of like the world. You know, most mammals have it, some fish, even oysters, in case you had dinner plans after tonight. <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> and on top of that, like the World Health Organization estimates that this virus has been evolving for 100 million years and 67% of the world have HSB1. That's uh, traditionally seen as the good one. But under the umbrella family of all herpes, you got chicken pox and shingles and the good herpes, HSV1, normally contracted in the mouth right? Uh, that's just a scene. It's really into it. Uh, but you can also get it in your genitals. Most people contract it when they're a kid, right? Like that's how I was weaned off of a bottle. I was like one years old and I got these little baby cold sores on my baby tongue <laughs> and I stopped drinking out of my baby cup. You know what I mean? Like I, I had always refused to feel shame for having something that I contracted when I was one years old. And it turns out that the increase in contracting HSV-1 in the genital region has a lot to do with the fact that we've shielded our kids from getting it, and they don't have any antibodies when they do come in contact with it through oral sex. And then you have the second kind of herpes, the bad herpes, right? Prefers the genital area. Again, it's, it's seen, but it'll also come in your mouth if you want it to. <laughs> and <laughs> came out really wrong, but I'm going to go with it. <laughs> It's known as the bad herpes. You're known as being dirty or evil if you have it. It's more easy for people who have vaginas to contract it than people who have the opposite of vaginas. <laughs> and it turns out that we didn't even really have this giant social stigma around herpes until about the 70s when some satanic Don Draper in the pharmaceutical industry created a need, a need for the antivirals that they just came out with. And 1982 Time Magazine put it on the cover that herpes was the new scarlet letter. My entire life. The entire stigma has only existed as long as I've existed in this world. And it occurred to me that it's not the symptoms of having herpes. You know, like the outbreak, unless you're immune compromised, it's really not that big of a deal. It's just the stigma. It's every third date having to tell somebody that and having them look at you like you are disgusting and you're filthy and you're somehow lacking in moral character. And I don't know if it's like a layover of our puritanical culture, but it made me realize that I'm tired of this. And it's a, it sucks that like I have to have been diagnosed as free of herpes to feel comfortable coming up here and telling you guys this story. And the longer that I've talked about it, the more and more people I find out who have it and have been living with it, and some in incredible shame and silence, and some have come to terms with it. And those people need to talk together. Anyway, it turns out I found the cure to herpes. Don't give a shit about herpes.
That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is Elvis behind me now, and we just heard from Stephanie Smith. You know, folks, on last week's Thursday re-release, we brought back the 25th episode of Risk that debuted in September of 2010. Carlos Kotkin told a story on that episode about his fear of contracting herpes. I always felt like that story was harmless. I felt like you can, as a listener, tell that Carlos was just not the world's most <laughs> experienced guy when it came to sex, that he was a bit of a shy guy, wasn't super familiar with all there is to know about sexually transmitted infections, or the kind of consciousness that folks in the sex-positive community have around issues like that. But I always felt like you could tell that Carlos meant no harm and, and did not mean to be adding to anyone's impression that herpes is all that big of a deal. But some Risk listeners wrote in to say they were disappointed to hear that old story about fear of herpes because Risk has run several stories over the years about herpes being nothing to be ashamed of for sure, or even all that much to be worried about because most herpes is very manageable with medication. And if you're someone who has sex, you're pretty likely to get one or another kind of it one way or another. So, a couple of years ago, we cut Carlos's story, we removed it from that episode, and then people complain that Risk is censoring itself because they like that story and want it back, so here's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I'm going to add a little announcement to the beginning of that classic Risk re-release from last Thursday and just talk about how, hey, we at risk would like to encourage everyone, if you think you have herpes, please go to your doctor, definitely talk to your partners about it, but definitely also don't think it's something to be ashamed of or even to get all that upset about. I have found over the years, just speaking personally, it's manageable. My partners don't think it's a big deal. I don't think it's a big deal. Folks, have you ever wanted to share an anecdote on the show or a full-length story, maybe even at one of our live shows? Listen, all you need to know about pitching us is at risk-show.com slash anecdotes or risk-show.com slash submissions. Lots of great tips there for how to pitch us and how to workshop a risk story. Don't forget to follow us on our socials. We're at Risk Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at the Kevin Allison. The Risk Podcast Fans Discussion Group is on Facebook. Great place to talk about the stories with everyone else. As is our subreddit. That is at Risk Podcast. And folks, did you know that you can hire me personally for storytelling training? I'm at KevinAllison.com. You can also hire me for little video greetings to send to friends. That's at Cameo.com slash TheKevinAllison. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. I'm just a hunk, a hunk of
Bartender, uh, we would like two more, please. Haven't you had enough? I want more than enough. <laughs>